Deuteronomy chapter 31. <clears throat> this is a very important chapter. This is the chapter that's part of the farewell given by Moses uh, to the people before he died. The Deuteronomy has been, uh, some have considered Deuteronomy the longest farewell, uh, one of the longest farewells in the history of the world. It's certainly uh, the longest farewell in the, in the scriptures. Um, but it is a farewell by Moses and is also part of, a part of God's final words to the people through Moses. Uh, the prior chapter here in, in, in Deuteronomy 31 uh, was a plea from God, and I almost went there, to be honest with you, uh, in, our, in our prep for this morning and, and the delivery of this sermon. Uh, but it's a plea from God to choose life, to choose life. Uh, it reminded me of that passage in Ezekiel later on, many chapters later, many years later, uh, where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is telling the people, his children, why will you die? Why would you die? Choose me. I, I, I will forgive you. Just come back. Why would you die? And we get the, the infant form of that, if you will, right there in Deuteronomy 30. Choose, choose life. Choose love. And choose the Lord. And, and a continuation of God providing clear motivators uh, for His people to serve Him there in uh, Genesis, or Deuteronomy 30. Um, God, through Moses, continues to remind them and give them motivators uh, and remind them of their commitment to Him and His commitment to them. And with that in mind, with those motivators in mind, I want us to look at verse number 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 31, and we'll read down to verse 13. The Bible says, And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel, and he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. The Lord thy God, He will go over before thee, speaking to the children of Israel, and He will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them, and Joshua shall go over, he shall go over before thee as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as He did um, to Sihon and to Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom He destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong, and of a good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of a good courage. For thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Verse 8 says, And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of the release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their, gather, in their hearing. Gather the people, verse 12, gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. And that the children and that their children, which have not known anything, 
may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to be here. Lord, how great you truly are. Lord, and we love you. And we thank you for your precious word this morning. We thank you for your desire for our souls. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, who knew no sin but became sin because of me and because of the world. Lord, you paid it all, Lord, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, uh, that we can see you high and lifted up today. Lord, help us as we look into your word, unto uh, the words you gave to Moses to be penned forever, written down. Lord, help me to convey what you've given to me and help us as a people uh, to hear from you this morning. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 12, I want to go back up to that again. Um, verse 12 begins with, gather the people. Gather the people. And then it gives us a few reasons in verse 12 and verse 13 uh, for why we should gather. And here we are in the text here, and I'm going to take some, some liberty here, but some, some biblical liberty, if you can put it that way, uh, and use some of these things here and pull our truths, pull some truths from verse 12 with a plethora of all, uh, a whole lot more scriptures here and talk about why we gather, why we're doing this. Why, why do we do this? I mean, if I were to ask that question, I would assume that we would get a similar answer from every single person in here, but not necessarily. Why are you here? It's an important question. I mean, why do you go to soccer games? Why do you go to work? Why do you go to a restaurant? These are all good questions, less important. But why, do, why do we come to church? Why do we gather? First and foremost, as as New Testament believers, as, as we who have experienced Jesus Christ, we've accepted Jesus Christ, He is our Savior, we gather because of Jesus Christ. We gather because of the Son of God. In fact, we gather because the Son of God became the Son of Man. That's the truth of it. We gather because Philippians 2.8 states that as a man, He, God, humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I've said this many times, but I can't get over the fact that God became man. That just, it blows my mind. Why would God become man? Because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that He was robed in flesh to go to that old rugged cross for your sin and for, for mine. He carried a cross, you see, that He didn't have to carry. And he died a death he didn't have to die for a people, us, who don't deserve to live with him. We are all falling short. Now, please don't misunderstand. Life is precious. Our life is precious and, and worthy of living and protecting. But we didn't earn it. We didn't earn this life. It's a gift from God. Our state of consciousness, if you will, is a gift from God. All that we have is a gift from God. All that we are, our goals, our desires, our abilities, our intellect, our wisdom, our emotion, it's all made possible because God so loved the world. God created the world. All those things, it's all because of God. God made you. God made you. And if you think about that, if there's any, even a remote possibility that you think there's a God, maybe speaking for people outside of the church here, um, that there is a God and He created me, how come we can have proprietary rights over what we write, but He can't have those same rights over what He creates? We belong to Him. We are His workmanship, and He should do to us, with us, what He, should, what he pleases. We belong to Him, especially if you are a believer. 
especially if you are a believer. God made you. But very clearly throughout Scripture and even in our own lives, you and I have chosen to fall short of God's glory. We've chosen to choose our own way over His way. Yes, God created man, but man rebelled. We all know the story. From the first man and on, we have sinned. But because of God's mercy, He called here in the Old Testament, He called a people unto Himself through which that people He would send Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we who have realized and admitted to God, admitted to God before man that we are not worthy of life and we believe that Christ paid our sins on Calvary, we should understand this more than any, any, any person. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, that, I know I say this a lot, but that verse is so simple. It is so easy. I mean, you can take all those questions, all the, the great questions of intellect and all the great wisdoms of the Plato's and the Socrates from way back when and go forward to whatever's in the future and just put all that for aside for a moment and just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. It is that simple. That's, that it. it's, that's, all, that's all there is. So salvation, that eternal life, it's not living right here. It's not church attendance. I'm glad you're here. God's glad you're here. But this is not how we get to heaven. This is not how we get salvation. It's not even starting a new chapter in your life. It's believing and receiving Jesus Christ. Yes, we must repent. We must recognize our sinful condition. That's, that's a must. This is completely necessary. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus calling sinners to repentance. But as clear as I can be, it's not repentance that gives us eternal life. Repentance is necessary, but it's not repentance that gives us eternal life. We must receive Jesus Christ. We must receive Him. It's not the act of turning from our sin and ourself. It's the turning to Jesus that saves. Obviously, it starts with a turning away from sin and self, but it's the turning to Jesus that brings eternal life. And because you and I, as Christians, we have done this, you've realized this, you realize that God has saved me. He's made me worthy of His calling. We are here this morning gathered in His name. This is our purpose. We gather because of Jesus Christ. And while there are some differences in the New Testament church and Israel in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some of those things, there are some differences. But I want to point out that our, it's not that our purpose for gathering is greater than their purpose for gathering, because they gathered also for God. But our purpose is much clearer than theirs because of the New Testament, because of fulfilled prophecy. You see, we gather on this side of the cross, if you will, in a timeline with our faith in the Savior who came. We can look back and see history that Jesus came and died for our sins. They live on this side of the cross in the shadow, uh, Hebrews 10 talks about, and they're looking into things and they're having a faith in things they just don't know about yet. They gather on the other side of the cross with faith in the Savior who would come. You see, nobody gets to heaven without Jesus Christ. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. It all comes through the cross. And with that said, let's look again at Deuteronomy chapter 31 and look at some of the reasons that Moses decided to gather because if they were important to him, they were, 
they would be certainly important for us. So this morning, while we go, I want you to point out number one, very clearly in the text there. Look at verses um, 11 again. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, children, and strangers within thy gates, that they may hear, that they may hear, that they may hear. What are they hearing? The law. Gather the people together that they may hear. I think it's important that Moses was inspired by God not just to write, gather Israel together. He said, gather the men, gather the ladies, gather the children, and gather even the stranger. We'll come back to the inclusion of strangers, but it is clear that all of God's people were to gather here. They were to hear from the Lord. Verse 11 again states, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So as God's people, you and I, we are to gather to hear this book, to hear from the, the Lord, to hear the Word of God. You know, I don't think, I hope, it's not a surprise for you to come to church and hear me tell you that we should be listening to the Word of God. It's one of our reasons for gathering right here out of the text. It's one of the reasons that we gather. Romans 10.4, Paul asked the question, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And a few verses later, he kind of answers that question. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are gathered this morning to hear from God. Not me. I'm just a puppet even. I mean, just a tool in the hand of the Lord. We are gathered to hear from him. But unfortunately... As many of us know, the blessed words of our Creator have fallen insignificant to many Christians. They've lost their place of significance today in many places, in many walks of life, among believers. Listen, this, I, I was looking through this and studying through the Pentateuch here recently, and I found these words by a commentary. He wrote this. He says, the Word of God is not loved, it's not studied, either privately or publicly, Trashy literature is devoured in private and music, ritualistic services, and imposing ceremonies are, eager, are eagerly sought after in public. Thousands will flock to hear music and pay for admission, but how few care for a meeting to read the Holy Scriptures. There is a growing thirst for religious excitement and a growing distaste for the calm study of the Holy Scriptures and the Spiritual Exercises of the Christian Assembly, written by C.H. McIntosh, 1861. <laughs> Incredible. I wonder what he would write today. He goes on to show later on in that, in that commentary his thanks for another group who do care for the Scriptures. May you and I be in this second group. May we be in this second group. May it always be said of those who attend Homefuss Baptist Church that we are a people who cherish the Word of God. May we be a people who love God's Word. May it be said of God that we are a community of Christians who gather to hear Him on a regular basis. And as Moses told the children of Israel, and as he penned these inspired words, we can see very clearly we're not only to hear from the Lord, 
I mean, it's almost like the book of James. Don't be hearers, but be doers also. But look at verse number 12. Again, gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn. So very simply, we are to hear from the Lord and we are to learn from the Lord. Now, in my study and in my experience, in my walk with the Lord, and in my experience in churches and in other churches, and talking to other believers, it seems like this reason here, the reason to gather to learn from the Lord, it's either the only reason we gather, or it's not a reason at all. So it's either all or nothing, which is obviously not what the Lord wants. In other words, for some, uh, it is all about how deep the preacher can get into the text. That's, that's why we come. We want to learn from the text. I have a friend of mine um, uh, back in the States, and he, we were deployed together. He become so wh- what deep truths are you going to have for me f- today? Now, I appreciate that desire of the Lord, but it's more than that. It's a little bit more than that, and we'll get to that. So I certainly believe, certainly believe in expositional preaching. Um, I believe that that's a part of what we do. These words are the words of life. My words are conjecture. There's power in this. My words are man's words. So I believe in preaching the book. It's necessary for a right walk with God, but learning is a means to an end, not the end itself. It's not about earning degrees or how much Bible knowledge one has. It's about what we do with that knowledge. One person once said that wisdom is knowledge applied. So that's one spectrum. And at the other end of that spectrum, some gather with no desire at all to learn from the Lord. No desire at all. They search for the excitement that this commentator spoke of. Or they search for an emotional adventure. No, no learning. But again, speaking from personal experience with many years in the military and in the ministry now, I have learned that excitement and emotion rarely last. Rarely. You can be excited and emotional about something, and it's just... History tells us it's just not going to last. I've had even church members not here today that come, oh, we're going to do this, all excited. And I wonder what's the core. Is it just the emotion? Is it just the excitement? Let's be, let's have Christ at our core. Because a true conviction and a commitment to the Lord, that will last. That will last. Yes, our walk with the Lord may be exciting, and it should be exciting. It it may be emotional, and it will be emotional, but He must be at the core, not our emotions. Emotions are not bad. God gave us emotions, but we must keep them in check. And without question, I believe becoming a student of God's Word to learn from God, it's a key ingredient in keeping our feelings in check and learning how to fear the Lord. Speaking of fear in the Lord, as we read here in the text, what does Proverbs 1.7 say? Y'all know the passage, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in our text here, Moses wrote that the children of Israel were, were to gather specifically, look at verse number 13, and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Gathered so that they can learn to fear God. We will revisit the children We will revisit fearing God, but for now, know that we are gathered today to learn from His Word, to learn from God. I want to say never take for granted 
Never take for granted. Never underestimate. And do your very best to never miss our gathering with God's people. It's more important than you might imagine. Never miss an opportunity to learn from God. You know, we can never hear too much from God. We can never learn too much from His Word. And in fact, we need to hear and learn from God. I am convinced that in my life, and, and those that even in lives of people that I love, one of the very first signs of a Christian losing his or her way in this world is an increasing absence from, get, from God's people. On and on and on. They, they continue to just draw away from God's people. And before you know it, I've been there. I, I asked myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? Well, first question that a preacher asked me, well, when's the last time you've been to church? Well, 10 years ago, maybe. One of the first signs is losing your commitment to God's gatherings. <clears throat> so when we don't feel like gathering, I'm going to be honest. I was struggling this morning. I didn't feel like gathering. Stomach wasn't feeling great. I don't have COVID. <laughs> um, I take regular tests. Um, just one of those days. And, and I was going through this again this morning. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> when I don't feel like gathering, when we're just too tired, when we're just not in the mood, make it a point to gather. And hear from the Lord. I heard a I read a parent's book one time. It says when your children, when you don't want to hug your children when they're little, that's when they need hugs the most. I don't know if that's always true. Always true. Maybe I know it's not. I know it's true that I always don't want to hug them at that moment. But it's it probably is a true statement to to realize that when I don't want to come to church, when I'm drifting from God, when I, it's those days that we need to be gathered with God's people. Make it a point to gather with God's people, to hear and learn from the Lord. And back in our text, continuing in that, this brings us back to another purpose for gathering, and that is fearing the Lord. Hear the Lord, learn from the Lord, and fear the Lord. Again, Moses says, gather the people that they may hear, that they may learn, that they may fear God, that they may fear God. In the next verse, again, he wrote that we want to teach our children to learn to fear God. How long? As long as you live. As long as you live. The Hebrew word for fear, of course, means to fear in the way that we would understand that. It does include that, uh, but it also has, a, has an understanding of respect or reverence, deep reverence, deep respect. It is the same word in the, in the Hebrew used in Genesis 3.10 when Abraham said he was afraid. He feared, so he went and hid himself after he sinned. Same word. It's also the same word used in Exodus 1.17 when the Hebrew midwives refused to kill the firstborn males. You all remember that? Why did they refuse? Because they feared God. But it is also the same word used by God in Genesis 15.1 when He spoke to Abraham and says, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. And thy exceeding great reward. And it's also the same word right here uh, in our text. And Moses, verse 8, somewhere around there. And Moses wrote this law. Verse 11, it's somewhere in there where God says, fear not to, to Moses. You'll have to take my word on it because I'm not finding it right now. But I just want to keep running going. So fear not. Fear not. And as already stated, it is the same word used in Proverbs 1-7, which states, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You might say, well, of course we are to fear the Lord. And that's a true statement. What's unique about the fear of the Lord, I think, is the closer we get to God, 
the greater reason there is to fear him. And at the same time, of the closer we get to God, the more we realize that he is a loving God. So he is a fearful God. He is a consuming fire. He is an all-powerful, almighty, omnipresent God. And we are to fear him. And as we draw closer to him, the bigger he gets, but the more we see his attributes and that he loves us. He's a loving God. You know, I think if we fear God above all others, as we are commanded to do, it helps us put our lesser fears in the proper place. You know, if you fear God, those other fears just kind of fall away. In fact, the more we fear and trust God, the less we will fear those things. Psalms 56 verse 11 says, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid, fear, what man can do unto me. But many times, let's be honest, we get this backwards. We get it completely backwards. We don't put our trust in God, and we are afraid of what man can do unto us. From time to time, looking back in the history of the, of the children of Israel, they were guilty of fearing Egypt more than God. And when they first spied out the land there, in the promised land, y'all remember that with the cluster of grapes and all those things? They were more afraid of the people, the inhabitants of the land, than they were of God. They feared the created more than the Creator. When they revered God more than all, they were victorious. And when they feared man more than all, they failed. And the same is true of our walk today. Personally, I think the Bible's usage of fearing God is connected to honoring God and even worshiping God. According to Romans chapter 1, one of the signs of a morally depraved society, one of the signs of a spiritually depraved society, one that continues to spiral down farther and further from God, is that they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And Romans 3.18 further states that there is no fear of God in them. No fear of God. You know, even among professing Christians today, there seems to be a lack of fear before God a lack of reverence before God. If however long the Lord allows me to pastor in this church, and I expect not you know, to be a very long time, I hope, that's my plan, I want it to be said when, it's all said when it's all said and done that I revered God, that we worshiped Him with reverence. Do you fear God? Do you revere Him? To Moses, one of the reasons for gathering of God's people was to fear the Lord. And to learn to fear the Lord. And quite honestly, I think the more we hear from God, the more we learn from God, the more we will fear and revere God. Remember, we're all going to stand before God. We are all going to stand before God. And Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says this, Fear not, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God. There's only one. So we can either, as we stand before that holy God, and this is for a, a mixed audience, if you will, we can either stand before Him as our Father or Him as our judge. The choice is ours. We're either under the blood or not under the blood. We're either in Christ or not in Christ. So either we can fear Him as a child before His Father or we can fear Him in guilt before the judge of all the earth, which naturally brings us to the next truth this morning in the text back in verse number 12. Verse number 12 says again, Gather the people that they may hear, 
that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the works of the law. We are gathered together to obey the Lord. To obey the Lord. And I don't think my plan was not to stay on this point very long because, you know, it's, nobody likes being told to obey from, my children, from children all the way to elderly people. We don't like being told what to do. That's just part of who we are. But one of the reasons we gather is so that we can observe to do all the words of the law. I realize that we live in what's called the age of grace. We live in the church age. We live under the cross, under the blood. And it's unfortunately clear that mainstream Christianity focuses more on that grace than they do on obedience. Now, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the Lord and how, how we react to the Lord. It is true that we are under grace, but we, and that we, can, and that we cannot obey our way into heaven. But obedience is not obsolete. Obedience is not obsolete. It is as much in the New Testament as it is in the Old Testament, relatively speaking. In fact, Hebrews 10.25 specifically states that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some believers do. You're not to do this. Furthermore, there are hundreds of what I like to call ought to statements. You ought to do this in the New Testament. Um, they are peppered throughout the New Testament. But unlike the Old Testament, where Moses demanded obedience or else, in the New Testament, our obedience is directly connected to our love for God. To our love for God. You know, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he connected it with a command to obey him. Feed my sheep. Love and obedience. If you love me, in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in that passage, he even connects our obedience to the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's important. Remember the first and second greatest commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Uh, and thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. On what do these two commandments, or what, on what hangs these two commandments? The Bible says, on these two commandments hang all the law. All the law. Love and obedience. True salvation, therefore, is not a, a live as you want and get out, of frail, get out of jail free card. True salvation is emancipation. It is a changed life. A new life, a new person, one who loves and obeys God. We are to hear from the Lord, learn from the Lord, fear the Lord, and obey Him. You know, I think it's unique that the Bible connects all of these together in one verse, especially these last two, the fear and obedience. Because I think many times in my life I have been more afraid of not following man's commands than God's. I don't think I'm alone in that category. I am guilty of being more concerned about being late for work than I am about being late for church. More concerned about a written evaluation in my career than I have been about the written Word of God. Or even the gathering of God's people. But as Peter and John put it in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than man. And to drive this point home even further, this obedience point, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall... What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Yes, we serve a, a loving God. And yes, Christians, as Christians, we live under the blood, praise God. 
But just like His love and obedience led Him to the cross to give His life for us, our love and obedience should lead us into a complete obedience to Him, to live our lives for Him. And then lastly, as we kind of wind down here this morning, lastly and quickly, but not less important, this one might even, this one hit the most home to me. Look at verse 13. That their children, I could just stop right there for a long time. That their children, their children which have not known anything may hear. We gather that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Lastly, this morning, we are to share the Lord. Share the Lord. Gather the people. Gather even the strangers. Gather your children so they all can learn, hear, and fear, and obey the Lord. Two short things. So number one, bring a stranger to our gathering. I know that the purpose of the church, I know that the definition of a church is believers, redeemed, bought for, the bride of Christ. But bring a friend. Bring somebody where they can hear the gospel. Bring a stranger to your gathering. Share the Lord. Invite someone to church. Number two, bring your children. Bring your children. Never again underestimate the importance of bringing your children to God's house. Even if you don't care that much for your own soul, care for theirs. Care for their souls. As parents, some of us, my kids grew up in church. I remember them playing on even these front aisles and, and, and a few other churches. But some of us might be concerned how our children will actually behave at church especially when there's no specific children's service. I say, bring them anyway. Bring them anyway. God blesses those families who bring their children. You know, may our children be more comfortable at church than they are anywhere else. More comfortable than in, than in front of the television or wherever. I'll say Game Boy, but I don't think they make those anymore. Be, have them comfortable here. Let them know the pews and feel these places. And I know that's just stuff, but we meet God here. We gather to worship Jesus Christ here. You know, some of us, me included, may have never heard the gospel if, if it weren't for our parents or grandparents who went to church as a child when there were no children's programs, but they were there anyway because their parents made them go, and they were there. I remember playing. I remember hiding under wooden pews back in the 70s. Um, hiding from whoever, from my brothers or sisters or whatever, but I was familiar with church until I wasn't. Bring your children to church. I'm not against programs our children are meeting downstairs, but bring them when there's no programs. Bring your children. It's important to them. It's important to God. We are here this morning to gather in the name of Jesus Christ. We're here to gather, to hear from the Lord, to learn and all these things here, fear, obey, and share the Lord. This is our purpose. This is our purpose for gathering. And I'll close with this, this one statement or this one thought. If you were here this morning without Jesus Christ, and you even, you have lived the life as if you were a Christian, but you know that you're not. The, the hesitancy, the trepidation, whatever you want to call it, of trusting Christ even after all of that, it's still worth it all. 
trust Christ today. He sent His only begotten Son to die for you, for your soul. He became your sin. He who never told a lie, never murdered, never did any of those things, He paid the sin for all those things. Jesus paid it all for you, for you. If you were the only person, He died for you. He died for you. And our purpose is to gather because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ. And I'll ask this last question. What is your purpose for gathering? Why are you here? Why are you here? Let's, let's close in prayer.